You're listening to The John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at the website, DePietro.com. I see a blue sky. I see Wednesday, March 1st. Wednesday, March 1st. Folks, we happy March. Now we're getting somewhere. I like I saw a countdown. Number days till daylight savings. St. Patrick's Day is going to be coming up. First day of spring. A lot of good things are happening. Let me just check the calendar, actually. But today is Wednesday. It is March 1st. Where did I see? Um, okay, yeah. First day of spring. Daylight savings is coming up. And then, you know, we get closer. Then, so anyhow, folks, um, let's let's uh, get into, by the way, uh, weather. It was a storm, but good melting. Let me just check where we are right now. The sunshine certainly helps. Yeah, it's going to be into the 40s today. The very least, clear some of the roads. I know there's still a lot of icing. We're going to have some rain coming in tomorrow. I know you just heard the forecast. I'm not a meteorologist. How about poor Kelly Bates? I have a posting on petro.com. She says she was promised to be the chief meteorologist at ABC6, and instead they called her in, and now she's going back to the weekends. So um, the rain tomorrow should really clear up a lot, and it's going to be 50 degrees, and then Friday dry, and then Saturday some more rain coming in. All right, now, if you've been following, and it's it's very interesting, this Alec Murdoch trial that is uh, going on, South Carolina, high-profile attorney, accused of no he's got a, he had a lot of financial problems the guy's a total nutcase he's a psychopath family's very powerful in the town has all the makings of a movie in many ways but so he is on trial for killing his wife his son paul he was going to help his other son and the jurors now are going to go out this is a big day as they're getting closer to closing arguments let's pick up the um Story with Good Morning America. Jury to visit the scene of the Murtock murders. Cases nearing its conclusion. Five-week trials so far. They'll head to the crime scene this morning. This is just a chance for them to see where this all happened. No presentation, no talking. This morning, the jury visiting the site where Maggie and Paul Murdoch were murdered with strict rules in place. You're not allowed while there to ask any questions including any law enforcement personnel if you have any questions you can only ask me the visit coming just before closing arguments begin in the alec murdoch trial after both sides finished presenting their cases state rests prosecutors using their rebuttal to call witnesses back to the stand in a final push to prove the disgraced lawyer murdered his wife and son attacking the defense's theory that two shooters were likely involved can the defense include to the exclusion of all other possibilities two shooters absolutely not the state's crime scene expert walking jurors through the defense's theory of how the crime unfolded. Prosecutors arguing the evidence doesn't fit. So what did you find odd about the theory, first of all? I think the theory is preposterous, in my opinion. The state's pathologist standing by her analysis, but when pressed by the defense, admitting to having some regrets. I guess hindsight is always twenty twenty. I could have taken x-rays of the brain. I could have... I, I could have taken more photos. 
The prosecution taking aim at Alec Murdoch's emotional performance on the witness stand, calling his former law partner to show Murdoch knew how to perform for a jury when he was a trial attorney. He was uh, a, a theatrical type presence in the courtroom and, and, and he could get very emotional doing closing arguments in front of a jury. But the defense pushing back during a heated exchange, suggesting that partner is angry after having to pay clients back for money Alec Murdoch stole. Are you angry at him for stealing your money? I have no feeling one way or the other. I don't have any feeling about Alec Murdoch betraying you and stealing your money. You're, I admire you. I don't know that I can look beyond that. I have had anger with him, extreme anger, Mr. Hart Putlin, because of what he did to my law firm, my partners, my client, his, his clients, our clients, what he did to his family. You are dead wrong. If you think I've come in here and told this jury something because of money, when we, we're talking about two people who were brutally murdered, then you're, you're, you're headed in the wrong direction. So what's next? After the jury goes to visit the crime scene, then this afternoon, closing arguments are expected, and very soon this case will be in the hands of the jury to determine, did Alec Murdoch kill his wife and son? Rebecca? Inching closer and closer to that verdict, and we know you'll be... Now, you just never know with juries, uh, folks. Again, I, and I mentioned this the other day, there's a very good Netflix special on this, uh, if you want to take the time. It's not that long. There's only a couple episodes but the son was involved with a boating accident where a young woman, a uh, young girl lost her life uh, for reckless, drunken boating. And the son, Palmer, just seemed like a, a total jerk, young, spoiled brat. And then there's another interesting dynamic to this uh, that it, it comes out in the Netflix special. One of the things you hear about is that they had a housekeeper that supposedly tripped in their house hit her head and died but then and then alec murdoch convinced her sons to sue him saying they could get the money he they did get money he took the money and didn't give it to the sons so there's certainly allegations that he took out a policy shortly before the longtime housekeeper supposedly fell tripped over the dogs and um and and died i they, they certainly hint in the netflix special that it's very possible that he he killed her he took out the policy that was his scheme all along took out the policy on her killed her and then presented it to her sons if you sue me i'm covered you'll get the insurance money to take care of your family but in the set he pocketed the money so I, I, but you just never know where the jury, right? We've learned that, where they're going to go. How about the, now the Supreme Court, the big decision, what's going to happen regarding the Supreme Court and whether or not um, this whole business of forgiving student loans, um, student debt. So how about uh, Randy Weingarten? Now she is hit head union described as union cartel boss democrats biggest campaign donor meltdown on the steps of the supreme court she's the head of the union that controls providence controls woonsocket controls pawtucket controls warwick we've talked about her quite a bit she's very uh involved with the providence school situation listen to randy weingarten with this full meltdown in front of the supreme court this is what really pissed 
big businesses were hurting and we helped them and it didn't go to the Supreme Court to challenge it. All of a sudden, when it's about our students, they challenge it, the corporations challenge it, the student loan lenders challenge it. That is not right, that is not fair, and that is what we are fighting as well when we say cancel student debt. No, it's ridiculous. They should not cancel the debt. I had to pay back my college loans. All right, folks, it's Sean DePietro. Much more ahead on this Wednesday. Next time you have an emergency, think AtMed Urgent Care. Two locations, 1524 Atwood Avenue, Johnston. That's right in the Atwood Medical Center. And also 5750 Post Road, East Greenwich, right across from Felicia's. AtMed Urgent Care, when you have an emergency, they specialize ambulatory medicine. They provide immunization, school, and sports physicals. At AtMed Urgent Care, they provide comprehensive outpatient health care to individuals, families. They're on duty at all times. They're open seven days a week. Walk-in routine urgent care, minor surgical. Now, if you're in a car accident, go to AtMed Urgent Care. Avoid the long wait at the emergency rooms. They also do adult vaccinations, laboratory testing. AtMed Urgent Care, when it's an emergency, 1524 Atwood Avenue in Johnston. That's right, in the Atwood Medical Center. And also 5750 Post Road, East Greenwich, online at admedurgentcare.net. Folks, you are listening to the John DePietro Show weekdays. We start at 11. We go until 2. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at the website, DePietro.com. Joining us right now, he is a columnist with the Boston Globe. Focuses primarily on Rhode Island. It is Dan McGowan. And Dan McGowan, let's start off with all eyes around Congressional District 1. And we will talk about that. But you have an interesting profile on the new freshman congressman, soon-to-be senior representative but that is on congressman seth magaziner yeah you know i asked him i wanted to talk to him and kind of ask him like have you pinched yourself yet that like you know you thought you were going to be in congress with cicilline who's a little bit larger than life and you're you're always going to have to kind of play second fiddle uh to him and i think he's actually i think he's really excited for that ability to potentially take on some of the issues that cicilline took on to kind of strike his own path into some degree, you know, he, he downplayed the idea that, you know, this is like an overwhelmingly big kind of leadership change, but he was telling me that, you know, he, as he's come to understand it over the last week since the Sicilian announcement, which he was not, you know, he, he did not get uh, a heads up on any time, you know, uh, prior to this. So he was as surprised as anybody by the announcement. Um, you know, for, for several months, uh, while Cicilline, you know, when he officially resigned, Seth Magaziner, you know, as he understands it, thinks his office is going to have to really take on, you know, kind of both the first and, and second congressional districts, you know, when it comes to constituent questions, things like that. So, you know, he's kind of getting a little bit geared up for that. One of the most interesting things that he said to me um, was, he thinks this this race and the, the delegation should be a little more diverse. Of course, what he means by diverse is, is a person of color or a Democratic woman. He obviously wouldn't support a, uh, you know, a Republican who was a woman or a person of color. Um, I think that says a lot about kind of the what he experienced on the campaign trail last year. That was, a, you know, a, a, 
a talking point, but one that was, I think, kind of overlooked in a lot of ways because we, you know, very much considered the strongest candidate of the Democratic field on that side. But, you know, even he says, I'd like to see uh, a little more diversity there. He says he's not going to endorse in the race. Um, and he isn't yet sure, you know, what he really wants to take on. Like, he, he, he was telling me that he's kind of battling with what are the issues that he can kind of inherit from both Congressman Langevin and Congressman Cicilline, and what are the issues he can kind of, you know, focus on uh, for himself? You know, he, the example that he gave me, I didn't, didn't make the column, but he, he said, you know, the, the, the push for, you know, even more kind of uh, marriage equality or equality rights. He said, you know, that, that probably fits for someone who is gay or, you know, or transgender or something like that more so than him. So he understands kind of passing that off a little bit. Um, but, you know, he does see this as that opportunity. You know how that delegation can be, John. You know, the, generally speaking, Jack Reed is known for bringing the money home. Yeah. Uh, you know, Sheldon's kind of a, the environment. Sheldon Whitehouse is kind of the environmental guy. Jim Langevin was always the guy who was, you know, who, who I think both sides of the aisle really liked. He was kind of quiet. A lot of people said he was the workhorse in a lot of ways. And Cicilline was a little bit of the showman. Uh, and, and I think Seth Magaziner kind of wants to figure out his own way to 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 make it. Um, but, you know, he will, in fact, be the senior congressman, you know, the, the minute that a, uh, you know, somebody gets elected from that first district. Dean McGowan, how is it for you talking to him? Because you did write that every morning when he gets up and looks in the mirror, he sees himself as governor. Um, and then you, you do link it. I'm just wondering, you know, how does he act towards you? Does, does he bring it up? Do, do they kind of, you know, in the end say, like, we told you so, but how does that dynamic go? It's really funny. I mean, John, you're, you're as uh, combative of journalists as anybody I know. So yeah. you've dealt with this for a long time. And, and truthfully, people handle this very differently. I'll give you, before I talk about him, you know, my first kind of major job in Rhode Island, you know, really day to day was covering Angel Tavares, the, yeah. the former mayor of Providence. And Angel Tavares remembers every word that yep. has ever been written about him uh he's a guy who will bring up in conversation even now we'll say oh remember that time that you you know wrote this and you know i thought this was wrong or i thought this was right when you said this uh you know some magazine is interesting i mean it's out there he knows uh what i wrote you know i joke with him a little bit I, in fact i even said as like an icebreaker in this conversation that we had i was like other than you know, telling people that that Dan McGowan's opinion doesn't really matter. What would you say? I, you know, I think he has a little bit of a sense of humor. He understands that the point uh, to some degree that I was trying to make, uh, you know, in just saying this is a guy who worked for years and years and years to be the governor, right? He, he actually took the time to understand the state yeah. government. And then didn't. so, you know, he didn't like it. His team, certainly when they won, you know, was very much willing to kind of rub it in my face. But, you know, it is what it is. There's going to be good columns. There's going to be bad columns. So I think, he, you know, he's a bit of a grown up. I'm a grown up. We can kind of move on. But, yeah, it's always going to be out there. He, he, certainly his family will never forget that I wrote something like that. <laughs> <clears throat> There's no way Governor McKee is sitting down for that interview. <laughs> Good riddance for him. Dan McGowan, one thing, though, I do want to uh, just kind of push back on with Congress. You know, here's Seth Magazine is saying, well, you know, obviously we'd like to see a little more diversity. Hey, if he had either A, Alan Fung and one, you'd have that. If B, Sarah Morgenthau or Joy Fox would run. It's just a little rich now that he's part of the delegation. You have three white males saying, 
you know, we should get some more diversity here now that I'm part of the club. I, I pointed out that that sort of, uh, you know, irony to him, and, and he understands that, you know, I think what you're seeing from a lot of the, the, the whispers of a lot of the candidates in the CD1 race are, are kind of, you know, the, the view is always, well, if not me, you know, let's say, if not me, you know, blanket white man, then, then yes, of course, we should have a person of color, or yes, of course, we should have you know, a Democratic woman, there, there is some undertones to that. I'll take him at his word. I think because he's there, because he doesn't have to worry about it, sure, why not elect a woman? Why not elect a person of color? But yes, absolutely. It, 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 you know, it, it is rich when it's coming from, you know, generally the three white men in the delegation. And even Cicilline, as the person leaving, has said, you know, I want some more diversity. But, you know, no one was willing to step aside at any point. No. No, that's interesting for someone that's leaving. Now, Dan McGowan, speaking of CD1, where do you see the race? Right now, Elena Folks uh, certainly circling. Sabina Matos, no announcement. Peter Narona is out. I still think he was an interesting possibility. He didn't rule it out at first. But Dan McGowan, I think the real dynamic here is if if Speaker Joe Sakachi decides to, to jump into this race we've we've never seen a sitting speaker go for higher office when they walk into the state house they're the king everywhere around rhode island their circles they're the king but this would be the first time for for joe sakachi to you know figure out is 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 the power real or is it the emperor has no clothes right well i think what you're gonna what you're gonna see is i think one of the top two top tier candidates meaning Shikarchi or Kalina folks. When I say top tier for folks, you know, really what I mean is either name recognition or money or some combination of both. Both of those two have a clear leg up on any other potential candidate in this yep. race uh, when it comes to those things. Obviously, folks coming off a relatively successful um, yes. dem- you know, campaign and, and Joe Shikarchi being, as you said, kind of the most powerful guy um, out there. The, the interesting thing, people... For the, for the last seven days, last eight days, you know, everybody was quick to kind of write off Speaker Shikarchi because the idea being, why would you go from being super powerful to very, you know, having very little influence in Washington? And I think I said this to you last week. One thing I've been saying to people all week, though, is Joe Shikarchi, I think he looks at the congressional delegation. He grew up in a time in Rhode Island politics when that was royalty. Yes. Those four spots are really important. He's a guy who cares deeply about his legacy. As corny yes. as that sounds, Joe Shikarchi, is, he's an old school politician in that way. He, he, and so I do think he has a certain reverence for you know, the delegation and potentially being down there that, yeah, sure, you're, you're the big deal in the state house among, let's say, a gang of 500, whether it's lawmakers, lobbyists, you know, or policymakers. Um, but you're not, you're, you're not David Cicilline. You're not even Seth Magaziner at this no. point. Uh, and so I think he understands that. That's why I think he's taking, you know, a really serious look at it. He is a guy who plays it incredibly safe. You know, he, yep. his first election uh, to the state, I remember, this was a guy who was always rumored. Is he going to run for mayor of Warwick? Is he going right. to, you know, run for treasurer someday? He ends up becoming a state representative with no election or no real election. So he kind of walks into the seat. He bided his time. He raised money. Uh, never made a move on Nick Mattiello when he was the number two. Nope. And no then, scandals. That's right. 
And then it kind of falls into his lap. He becomes a speaker. He's a popular guy. You know, I talked to him last summer, though. He's a guy who doesn't like conflict. He didn't like having opponents, both on the left no. and the right last year. And so, you know, I'm of two minds with him. On one hand, this is as free of a chance as you're ever going to get to get That's the conference. That's right. Um, and on the other hand, it won't be a completely free chance. You are not going to get to go to Congress with no opponent whatsoever. And he may just not like that. But, you know, I think he's very serious. I think Helena Folks is very serious. The thing, I'm, yes. the thing I'm really surprised about in talking to, you know, a lot of these kind of second and third and fourth tier people who want to do this I'm surprised by how um, aired off by Helena folks they are. Yeah. Uh, just because I, I think you could make the case, look, we all agree. She, you know, she had two more weeks. She probably would be our governor right now. Yeah. But she also, you know, she did lose to Dan McKee in a Democratic primary. It's not like she, you know, has this sterling record for legislature or for success in politics. And so, you know, if I was uh, any number of these kind of these, state rep and state senate you know people who who potentially want to do this uh especially if i was i think quite frankly a person of color i think i would look at this and say well sure she'll have all the money but I, there's a there's a scenario here where maybe i get some labor support maybe i build some momentum you know she is beatable in some ways but everybody everybody is waiting to see what the top two do and then to your point the third I think the third person kind of just below folks in Chikarchi would be a Sabina Matos, who, you know, performed very well in the first district um, during her lieutenant governor's, you know, both the primary and the general election from Providence. So she has that base. You know, her challenge is she has never been a good fundraiser. Um, you know, she never had to be as a city council person. That was relatively easy. But, you know. For all the people, people forget this because she got promoted to be the lieutenant governor. For years, she was talking about, I'm going to be the mayor of Providence. I'm going to be the mayor of Providence. That's right. Yeah. And, and she never could raise, you know, very much money to actually put all of that together. So there are some holes in sort of her argument, uh, except that, you know, she's, she's down in Washington this week, you know, uh, hanging out with, uh, I think, the head of Emily's List. And, you know, she's making the rounds. She certainly would be a it would be a credible, viable candidate, but I think fundraising is her big question. Folks, quick break, much more ahead. Dan McGowan, columnist of the Boston Globe, right here on the John DePietro show. Propane Plus in Rhode Island for all your propane needs. Call them 401. 401- 885-4209 in Massachusetts. You can reach them at 508-252-3359. Propane heating and cooling. It's Propane Plus. Their team's been there three generations. They're available 24-7 for service and delivery, and they plan on serving you for a long time to come. They offer online billing, ability to schedule a service delivery at the click of a button, and remember, all customers receive a free safety inspection on their equipment it's propane plus and remember with propane it's affordable sustainable equitable good for the environment and now it's renewable call propane plus today at 401-885-4209 in massachusetts call them at 508-252-3359 they're very easy to navigate website it's propaneplus.com propane plus call them 401-885-4209 
We're speaking with Dan McGowan, columnist of the Boston Globe. Dan, I want to just stay with CD1 just for a moment. If if I think Sakachi is going to do it, I think the speaker is going to do it. If not now, then when? That's he's right. never going to have, you know, health is good, family's good, he's he's got the power. Uh, but what I would find really intriguing is Helena Folks, she is the outsider because I think, you know, the piece in the globe about the valuable endorsements, uh, Sakachi would get labor, Sakachi would get a lot of that stuff on the party uh, endorsement, too. Yeah, that's right, party endorsement. And but she, she, I come back to she really figured out at the end, she won day of voting. I, I, if she had figured out a good earlier start with the mail ballots, which I think she would do this time. Um, but I also noticed a lot of party insiders are leery of her. Yes. So she doesn't know anybody anything. Um, she did lose to Dan McKee, but she, um, I just think she would kind of over if she could, you know, catch fire and in, she in, actually could win. In some ways, John, it, it is a little bit like, the way she ran for governor, right? Dan McKee had, you know, the institutional right. support. Yeah. Uh, and and I, I agree with you. I think the truth is those two, you know, have become friends and they certainly run in the same, uh, in a lot of the same circles, certainly of the donor class and the, you know, kind of the, the sort of the elitist class. I say elitist not to be overly negative, but it's just true. Um, that's why I don't think they would run against each other. But I, I agree. I actually think for, in, in Helena Folk's case, you know, your best asset is kind of being seen as the person who doesn't know anybody anything. Uh, do you really want to suddenly be labeled kind of the favorite who is going to be seeking out, you know, all of those endorsements that, that the average person doesn't love. They don't love to see that, oh my God, you know, you're the heir apparent. Then if you're a Sabina Matos or if you're somebody else, then you start to make the argument, look, this person's claimed she was, you know, this outsider. She's just like everybody else. Um, so, so I think that there, I think there is it. The question that I have for Helena folks, I, I do, I think I said this to you last week too. I think she's somebody who, I think she liked her experience running for governor. She got she got bit by the political bug. It's fun for her. And so what I'm curious about is, does she want to stay in Congress for, you know, a couple of terms and then run for Senate? Does she want to run for governor? And I think in some ways, you know, institutionally, I think a lot of folks are going to have to kind of figure this out. Because, you know, for example, if you're Governor McKee, it would be great to just kind of you know knock her off again it would be great if you're McKee to support somebody else and show you know i'm the real force in this state on the other hand send her to congress and get out of my hair you know could be the the McKee thinking so it'll be interesting to see how much signaling behind the scenes you know hey i won't run for governor in a couple of years if if you know if i get a bunch of support things like that those are all things that are kind of on the table um behind the scenes and we'll you know we'll hear it play out Again, you know, with rumors and things like that. But there's a lot to happen right now. You know, again, this by this moment last year when Jim Langevin, um, uh, when Jim Langevin got out eight days later, Seth Magaziner was in the race for Congress. So, you know, we, we do not have a big name candidate. In fact, we don't really, other than Alan Waters, nobody has actually opened a campaign account to do this. I think everybody's waiting on those two. And that's a challenge because if you're anybody else in this race, 
you actually do need to do, you know, start right. raising the money and Good start point. building your name recognition. You cannot wait. Joe Shikarchi can wait. You know, Helena Folks can wait. Even Sabina Matos, to some degree, can wait. But if you're a state senator or a council person, you cannot wait. So, Dan McGowan, once every year I go to D.C. and I'm usually there for three days and I get to go to events and I get to interact with some of the political people. And my phone goes off the other day and I'm thinking it's questions about the CB1 race. But instead, it's a Washington. It was an off the record conversation. It's a D.C. reporter. But, but their conversation to me was. So Gina Raimondo's running for vice president. Now, what what is your thought? Here's what they said to me, and and I don't know. I haven't read this anywhere. It's a buzz, but that she senses that Harris is not going to be on the ticket. They're going to find a way to get an exit, and she is going full blast. In the past few days, Dan McGowan, with her whole chip initiative, she is everywhere. She's everywhere. all over television. She was on Randy Weingarten for crying out loud. Um, as someone that covered her, boy, talk about hitting the stride at the right moment. More and more people are starting to say, like, boy, this is someone that should be in higher office. Well, think about this. You just said Randy Weingarten, who you and I have talked about, about yes. a lot, right? We always said the most powerful Morning union. Joe together. <laughs> They're on Morning Joe together, she and Randy Weingarten. And then she's on Fox, talk, you know, talking up the Chips Act as well. Uh, and so, you know, she is making the rounds. I think she has always viewed herself as a person who, you know, who is who can be tolerated by the other side of the aisle. And then also to some degree, you know, she's always had progressive problems. But, uh, you know, she is she still is seen as progressive in a lot of ways. She's a big child care advocate, things like that. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think there is an element here where she's kind of making her move. I mean, you know, we wrote, I wrote about this in Roadmap a couple of weeks ago when, when in her, uh, you know, after the State of the Union, you know, the, the, the things that the president has had true success on uh, tend to be bipartisan, right, and tend to be have her fingerprints on them, right? Uh, the infrastructure bill, the, uh, the chip stuff now, like, I, you know, Gina Raimondo has been a key part of this administration. And, you know, I'm always torn on vice president talk. The reason being is that this is like a, it's like the show, the West wing, right? There's always always the conversation about who will change the vice president. We feel like we've had, this was a conversation with Biden and Obama. It's to some degree, it was a a question of Trump and Pence. Uh, Now it's a big question of who Trump will pick as, you know, as his person, if he's the nominee again, in the end, they tend to go back to the person that that's already been there. Um, though I will say, I mean, Kamala Harris has, first of all, she's very unpopular. She has not stuck out like a, you know, a major high profile initiative and nothing has really worked out for her. And I think what President Biden, you know, if his team is looking at this, the big part of this four years ago or a couple of years ago was the, the idea that we need a, you know, a person of color, a woman on the ticket. Well, Joe Biden was dominant in South Carolina. They yep. changed the, the way the primary works. Did. Um, and Joe Biden still views himself as the antidote to, to Donald Trump. And you look at some of the polling, looks like Donald Trump has a, certainly has a heavy, is a favorite to be the Republican nominee. And if I'm Joe Biden, <laughs> I might be looking at this saying, I don't care who the vice president is. Not, not to say that it, it doesn't matter at all, but maybe maybe Kamala can move on and yeah I think I think Gina Raimondo 
would be right there as his potential running mate. It, it is not crazy at all. Although, again, I, I would still say it's probably unlikely. I agree. It's just the age thing. You know, are we really going to have an 86-year-old president if he were to run again? Right. I, I think they – and look at Mayor Pete is going down in flames literally with the whole Ohio debacle. Yep. Uh, Kamala Harris is doing nothing to alter the conversation. She's not offering anything to change the narrative that's going on with her right now. So uh, Gina Raimondo, and you could that see, killer instinct. You know? One thing you could see, John, is, is I, I can only imagine what's going on within that cabinet right now. Because, look, when you have ambitious people like Buttigieg, you know, even Kamala Harris, vice president, she's you know above the cabinet to some degree. But the, the jealousy that must be happening right now of Gina Raimondo being everywhere and kind of getting lots of praise, uh, it must be fascinating because again, you you know you have a Buttigieg camp, you have a Kamala camp, um, you certainly have a Biden camp who it hasn't always loved the idea that Gina Raimondo gets a lot of attention because she was a Mike Bloomberg guy, she was not an initial uh, Biden person. So it, it, there, it is kind of fascinating down there. Make no mistake about it. You know, I, I say there's all these camps. There is absolutely a Raimondo camp down there also, you know, who, who pushes her and who makes sure that she's getting um, just as much, if not more, attention than some of her you know, cabinet mates down there. Her with the ability to go on Fox News, Dan McGowan, is a loud statement. Mayor, Mayor P cannot go on Fox News. Kamala right. Harris won't go on Fox News. The president wouldn't go on on Super Bowl Sunday. That's right. That shows this is someone pragmatic, can work across the aisle. Um, boy, she is really just hitting on all cylinders. That interview she did with your former colleague, Ted Nisi, where she's showing him around. Here's my view. Here's my office. I mean, that is someone who is just absolutely thriving. Now, folks, you hear me mention it, Roadmap, and it arrives each morning. Dan McGowan, before I um, ask you, to, if you wouldn't mind just extending the offer, folks, it's free. It arrives in your inbox. It has all the links to stories in the Boston Globe, whether or not it looks like Tom Brady may be coming back to play, <laughs> I think, for the 49ers. But Dan McGowan, Providence College, I mean, they're on the cusp of a full season at home. And, and I'll tell you, this is fun of then having a team that certainly has the possibility to make the Sweet 16 with March Madness. Yeah, you know, it's the thing that's really nice about this, John, you, know, you grew up here, so you remember some yeah. of really, the, you know, the best times for Providence College basketball. The thing that's so nice about this season is coming off of last year, you almost expected a downgrade. Like traditionally, in the time at least that I've been in, in Rhode Island, in Providence, you get a good team, then you get a bad team, then you get, you know, a really bad team, right. and then maybe you get it back again, right? The, the nice thing about this year is you're, as you said, I mean, they, they could be as high as number two in the Big East uh, if they win two in a row uh, tonight and then Saturday against Seton Hall. Undefeated at home. That place is rocking right now. It's doing such good things for downtown. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's the only thing that's really happening in Providence right now um, in a lot of ways. And, you know, it, it is. It's it's you, it's a likable team. Obviously, Coach Cooley's a very likable guy. Even, even last week, they got I, I went to the UConn game. They got drubbed by UConn. But, yeah. you know, afterwards, even he's joking around. He said, oh, they all had $2 beers. That clearly yeah. worked. He, he's got a good kind of sense of humor to him. Uh, and this team is very likable. They work hard. It's very, you know, it's corny to say it's very blue collar. A lot of rebounding, a lot of, you know, it's not the flashiest team you've ever seen. 
Uh, and it's just so much fun to be able to watch them. And uh, I'll be following them at least for the Big East tournament next week. I'm not sure if I'm going to be making my rounds uh, uh, all over the country again. But if they end up in the Final Four, you know I'll find a way to get there. <laughs> Dan McGowan, how was that in Connecticut? How loud was it in Connecticut? As loud of an arena as I've ever been in. And, and, and it's not the dunk, right? The dunk is, a, is just a better facility. The on-campus UConn facility, it's not beautiful. But, boy, the two out, you should have seen John the lines. <laughs> I mean, you had to wait 15 minutes of game time. Not of, not of real time. 15 minutes of game time to get a beer. Uh, and everybody was rocking and uh, I was with some Providence College people, and and they were getting heckled. It was great. It was just a great atmosphere for college basketball. Go back to last spring. I mean, that Kansas. If they had figured out a better way to offset the Kansas defense that they were playing on them, um, you know, look who who knows how far they yeah. could have gone. People forget folks- eleven minutes to go. They take a lead on the team that won the national championship. You know. No, and I and I think Co- just one fight. I think Coach Cooley learned a lot from that because so many times in basketball you're focused on how they're going to play, uh, how you're going to play them. But what PC needed was more scouting of how to offset how Kansas played Providence. Not that's right. It wasn't about Providence playing defense on Kansas. How they were going to play them. It's another level uh, that you get up to. Meanwhile, Joe Mazzula continues to. Roll. That was a, a wild game against the Knicks, uh, but and, and that is good having that rivalry strong. Love it's, it. It's actually yeah. better for you know New York to have the type of season. So, folks, it begins and ends with roadmap and Dan McGowan. If you'd be so kind to extend that off, and everyone was listening. Very simple, folks. And and the reason we're talking basketball is because today's roadmap is you know it's March first. Time to start focusing on basketball. If you haven't been paying attention, we got a great little primer that'll catch you up. Uh, and all you have to do is send a blank email to rinews at globe.com. Rinews at globe.com. I'll know what it is. I'll sign you up and you start getting it first thing tomorrow morning. Folks, he's Dan McGowan. Dan, great job as always, and I'll see you out there. See you out there, John. Thanks. Get the most of your outdoor space with Limitless Outdoors. Call today for a free quote, 401-580-1852. Limitless Outdoors, they specialize in patios, walkways, steps. They did a fantastic job on my outside steps. Outdoor kitchens, landscape lighting, retaining walls, lawn installations, excavation. Call Limitless Outdoors today. Let's dream, build, and enjoy. 401 480-1852 based in Smithfield Limitless Outdoors they also do indoor fireplaces or outdoor fireplaces Limitless Outdoors call them today free quote get the most of your outside you're going to love what they can do for you 401-580-1852 401-580-1852 Limitless Outdoors dream build Enjoy. You're listening to the John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at our website, dipietro.com. Obviously, all eyes on the Supreme Court. 
this whole business of uh, President Biden endorsing student loan forgiveness. Folks, joining us right now, she is, in fact, with the Pacific Legal Foundation, and it's Allison Solman. Allison, thank you for taking the time to uh, join us and very anxious to hear, especially this uh, element of it about the HEROES Act. Yes. All right. So, yes, there's been an important court case about several court cases actually regarding uh, student debt loan relief. And two were heard oral argument in the Supreme Court yesterday. And what exactly is the position on behalf of the brief that you filed or the, the, the legal foundation filed? So... The question, one of the questions in the case is about whether the statute that Congress passed um, reaches the kind of student debt loan relief that President Biden uh, has what has done. And in our brief, we talked to the sponsors of the original underlying bill, the Heroes Act, and they explained that they never envisioned uh, that that bill reaching a situation such as this one. If you wouldn't mind just explaining to people about the Heroes Act. Sure. So this was a bill that was passed in 2003 at the height of the Afghanistan and Iraq wars. And at that time, there were young people fighting on both those fronts who were unable to pay back their student loans because they were in literal war zones. And this bill gave the Department of Education the authority to say that they could pause their loan payments for a time while they were wrapped up in these emergencies. And, and I think... Go ahead. I was going to say, Allison, that, that certainly doesn't apply to, to today's standards and who they're talking about, that there should be loan forgiveness. So the bill uses the word emergency, and that's where the Biden administration got the idea to try to use this law to cover student loan forgiveness. The problem, though, is I don't think the argument actually works very well. Um, the purported emergency is the COVID crisis, but the Biden administration announced they wanted to do this some two years after the COVID pandemic came out at a time when vaccines were out, therapeutics were out, and most people were getting back to work. Also, the Biden of debt loan relief is really, really broad. It extends to all people who are below certain income levels, whereas the HEROES Act always envisioned this kind of debt loan relief going to a very small group of people who are very directly affected to an emergency, not to this huge group of people. I think what's really going on is that student debt loan relief is politically popular with a certain amount of the Democratic Party base. Biden wanted to do general debt loan relief because he thinks it's a good idea. And this really isn't about an emergency at all, at least not an emergency in the meaning of the HEROES Act. And could you just, um, again, tell people about the Pacific Legal Foundation? Sure. So we are, our job is to fight back against government overreach and abuse. And we bring lawsuits of our own in courts across the country and support other people's work in this vein through amicus briefs. We also work on legislation that supports these goals and scholarly research. Well, listen, Allison, thank you for the time. And we'll talk to you again. Thank you so much. For over 125 years, Ameriprise Financial has provided advice for clients' unique goals 
help millions of Americans retire on their terms. Now, as we're at the end of the year, beginning of a new year, why not take advantage of our free consultation? Call Tom Bryan today, Ameriprise Financial, 401-434-1510. Office is located 400 Massasoit Avenue in East Providence. Put the strength of a leader in retirement planning to work for, for you through a personal one-on-one relationship. Call Tom Bryan today, Ameriprise Financial Advisors, 401-434-1510. Get solid advice. Get a plan, whether it's for yourself, you and a spouse, maybe your children or grandchildren. Take advantage of this free consultation, Ameriprise Financial, 401-434-1510. Call right now, 401-434-1510. Tom Bryan, Ameriprise Financial Advisors. You're listening to The John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at our website, dipietro.com. Now, the Supreme Court, this whole business, forgiving student debt. Let's pick up the pieces with Good Morning America. Mary, Bruce, and Terry, the conservative majority on the court seemed highly skeptical of the program. They really did, George. It was a tough day for the Biden administration in court. From the start, those conservative justices expressing deep skepticism about the president's plan to cancel billions of dollars in student debt. And it was the sheer size and scope of this program that drew the sharpest scrutiny. Under the Biden plan, uh, more than 40 million student borrowers are eligible. There's up to $20,000 in debt relief per student. Uh, and 26 million student borrowers have already signed up for the program, though it's on hold pending the outcome in this case and the total cost 430 billion dollars no. chief justice john roberts no. arguing that such huge sums such a sweeping exercise of federal power must be explicitly authorized by congress and justice neil gorsuch raising the fairness issue uh, what about those people who already paid back their loans what about those who never borrowed how is this fair to them but the liberal justices they pointed to language that's already in existing law that they say could be interpreted this authorizing the program and justice sonia sotomayor who you saw there she raised the dire consequences for millions of students being crushed by debt if the court strikes down this program and after yesterday george that looks like a real strong possibility okay mary bruce how's the white house responding well, the president insists, George, that he is confident he has the legal authority to do this, despite the skepticism from the conservative majority yesterday. Sources here inside the White House say they're feeling good. They are encouraged by some of what they heard yesterday, hoping that the justices will find there's no standing for the administration to be sued over this. Look, they are clearly trying to put a positive spin on this, as the financial fate of 40 million Americans now hangs in the balance. And with the president's big campaign promise to do this up in the air as well. Now, if this fails, though, it seems there is no plan B. This is it. We have repeatedly pressed the White House on this, and they feel that this was their best shot at getting this done, at providing this relief to Americans, and their best chance for the president to fulfill that campaign pledge, George. And it affects so many. I don't, yeah, it, you know, it, it, it does, and no one's questioning that it doesn't. But what about all the people that, that did pay back their, their student student loans? All right, I want to go to, folks, notice people are paying far more attention to another train derailment. What is happening this time in Florida in a propane tank? 
Where is Mayor Pete? Something needs to be done about these train derailments. 30,000 gallons of liquid propane derailed in Florida as Ohio cleans up from their toxic accident. Victor Akendo has the latest. Good morning, Victor. Good morning, Rebecca. The railroad company telling ABC News that a second propane tanker also derailed, but that one stayed upright. Officials using thermal imaging to examine those tankers and say so far there is no leak, but warning those nearby that if conditions change, they might have to evacuate. Ah. This morning, the investigation is underway after a train carrying more than 30,000 gallons of propane fuel derailed in Florida. Can you identify the hazardous material? Crews in Sarasota, south of Tampa, finding that propane tanker and four boxcars carrying sheetrock off the tracks toppled on their sides. The thought of a 30,000 uh, liquid propane tanker on its side. Where is Mayor uh, Pete? Yeah, that's, a, that's a bit of a concern. Officials saying so far there is no leak, but a warning nearby businesses they may have to evacuate if conditions change. If we had to evacuate this area, it would have been about a square mile we had to evacuate. More than 150 feet of track uprooted and destroyed. The railway operator Seminole Gulf estimating that repairs will not be completed until next week. This, as the head of the EPA, makes a return to East Palestine, Ohio, the town at the center of that toxic train derailment. I recognize there has been a deficit of trust. Officials installing up to three water monitoring wells out of an abundance of caution, but say testing has shown no signs of contamination from the derailment in the air or the town's water system. As for the hazardous waste from Ohio, Indiana's governor objecting to the EPA's decision to send some of that waste to his state, saying that there has just been a lack of communication. To put it mildly. Now, folks, there's definitely something with transportation. And then close to the home, a near miss at Logan. Did you hear about this? Involving JetBlue. Could have been deadly. Wow. This morning, the FAA looking at why a Learjet decided to take off without permission, nearly causing a catastrophic crash. According to the FAA, air traffic control telling that pilot to wait before taking off because a JetBlue plane was landing on an intersecting runway. Land four right, JetBlue 206. But even after acknowledging the message, the FAA says the Learjet pilot took off anyway, forcing the JetBlue plane to go from 87 feet to 3,900. Joe Bisbee and Lily Sternberg were on board the JetBlue flight. Who was driving the Learjet? And then hitting the ground and then going back up within seconds. Like, you definitely got a jolt, and then nobody knew what was going on. Just look at this animation from Flight Radar 24. The two planes appear to come dangerously close to one another. And once we got, you know, I would say far enough up, the plane was, like, to the side. We were definitely having to take some sharp turns, so it was definitely really scary. The JetBlue flight landing safely, but it's one of at least five close calls in recent months that ABC News has learned of. And that's why the entire aviation industry is now facing questions on safety. And, Robin, to be frank here, the concern here, and it's a real concern, is that one of these close calls could be something far worse. No doubt. That is the fear, Matter Gina, of thank time. You. We're going to bring in our contributor and aviation expert, Colonel Steve Ganyard. Yep. Always good to have you here on the program. Hello, and, Colonel. And Steve, it seems like there have been so many close calls recently, at least five by our count. This one, very close. What is your biggest concern right now? Yeah, Robin, it's important to note right off that aviation continues to be extraordinarily safe in the United States, but these are concerning. 
I think the only thing that we're seeing, the only common thread that we're seeing throughout these mishaps is human error. Somebody made a mistake in the cockpit, somebody made a mistake in a control tower. So that's where the FAA is going to start to look to see how can they prevent this from happening again. But as Gio noted, these are five very serious incidents. In Boston, the controller saved the day. In that incident in Austin, those airplanes came within 100 feet of hitting each other. And that 777 in Maui that took the dive off uh, right after takeoff came within five seconds of impacting the water. So we can't keep counting on our luck holding out because eventually it won't. Mm, Okay, and you, you mentioned this. The FAA is investigating all of these incidents. What are they doing to prevent others from happening? Yeah, the FAA administrators put together sort of a top-to-bottom Who review is driving of the whole the aerospace safety jet. system. So they'll do a terrific look, and they'll come up with what kinds of things need to be changed. Remember, Robin, that the, the airline industry was particularly hurt during COVID. Uh, airplanes are what we use, but it's all dependent on people. So the airlines are short of pilots. They're short on mechanics. They're short on staff. And even the controllers are short by about a thousand people. So while demand has come roaring back, the airlines are still at about 75% going into the summer travel season. Yeah, You talk about that demand because air travel is back at or above pre-pandemic levels. So how concerned should people be? Well, from the safety perspective, again, don't be concerned. It it continues to be extraordinarily safe. We need to watch to see what the FAA does to put safety procedures back into place as we get back up to a pre-COVID level. But uh, the airlines are doing things like uh, increasing resiliency. They're taking off uh, flight schedules. They're trying to make the summer travel season go better. But remember, Robin, this is the first season post-COVID where we're going to really test the system. Patience will be required. Yeah, we've got to keep that in mind. Colonel Steve Ganyer. As always, appreciate your insight. Folks, I mean, it, it, you just have to be really cautious flying right now. All right, it's Wednesday, it's sunny, and you're listening to The John DePietro Show. Remain healthy. Stop in and see Marie at It's My Health, 1099 Menden Road in Cumberland. You can also look for her on Facebook, but call her 401 401- 305-3585. You know the building. It's that historic white church diagonally across from Davenport Restaurant. It's my health. What do you find inside? Well, first of all, great service, great selection, vitamins, herbal remedies from trusted companies, local products like ICE, honey, maple syrup, beef fresh gum, over 250 bulk herbs, teas, and spices, plus hemp and cbd products natural skin care it's my health pop in and see marie 1099 menden road in cumberland there's things for your pets there's things for your children there's things for your health stay healthy at it's my health 1099 menden road in cumberland again call marie 401-305-3585 diagonally across from davenport restaurant to the John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. Remember, you can always listen online at our website, dipietro.com. Folks, visit the website. On the website, you'll see all our links to social media, whether it's Facebook or YouTube, Instagram, even TikTok. Plus, you if you want to reach me, that's the best way to do it. We have unique, original stories, videos, content. Log on right at the website, dipietro.com. 
The Cohesit Inn, 226 Cohesit Avenue in West Warwick, Rhode Island tradition since 1977. Delicious food, great atmosphere, whether it's lunch or dinner or drinks in the lounge. They can also accommodate large groups. A great meal, a feast is waiting for you at the Cohesit Inn. Stop it and see them. All year round, 226 Coesit Avenue in West Warwick, they're waiting for you at the Coesit Inn.